This week's podcast is brought to you by the Krusty Krab. Over the world famous Krabby Patty. What's a Krabby Patty? Why, it's only the most mouth-watering, appetizing food in the seven seas. So why don't you come on in and have yourself a Krabby Patty today? The Krusty Krab. Come spend your money here. The Krusty Krab is a fictional restaurant in a cartoon that you can never visit. Bikini Bottom, you can never go there. Nick, 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 Nick. Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro. Welcome to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. I am so, so excited to be sitting in the recording booth at Nickelodeon Animation Studios today in Nickelodeon's 25-year history of producing Nicktoons. There might be no character more iconic than that absorbent and yellow and porous square of positivity, SpongeBob SquarePants. And one of the reasons SpongeBob is going to go down in cartoon history with the likes of Bugs Bunny, Scooby-Doo, and Mickey Mouse is because of his equally iconic voice. Our guest has been doing the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants for over 15 years. He's a perfect example of perfect casting, and it's literally impossible to imagine SpongeBob without Tom Kenny. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, Tom? Good, man. Is this I, the interview? Sure. It can it's be. just us a pre-interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do a little pre-interview yeah, show. There's no Charlie Rose uh, intro. Do you want to intro yourself? No. That would be <laughs> awesome. That'd be great. Um, you've got the voice for it. No, I was just going to tell you that um, my first celebrity sighting after I moved to Los Angeles, I lived in San Diego, I grew up in San Diego. So when I first moved out here for work, my first celebrity sighting was yourself. Wow. Which was great. That, and uh, that, that guy talking to himself at the bus stop yeah. is Tom Kenny. <laughs> uh, better than that. No, better than that, Tom. I uh, I was in a comic book store here in Los Angeles, and I was already geeking out because I was looking at comics, and I look over and I saw Patton Oswalt. And I went, oh, that's amazing. Cool. There's my celebrity sighting. That's great. And then in walks Tom Kenny, and you walked up right behind him, and you smacked him on the ass. <laughs> I remember. And then I, I was actually- like... That's Tom Kenny, and that's perfect. That was a twofer. That's right, twofer, yeah. There's Patton Oswalt and his life partner, Tom Kenny, having a little spat. That was great. Okay, so I've got so many questions for you, Mm -hmm. so many things I want to get into. But um, first of all, how do you keep track of all of your characters? (laughs) Well, uh, uh, it's pretty easy. I mean, really, you just kind of compartmentalize. Like, like, I know, like, I'm usually on eight or so different series at any given time. Sure. That seems to be the number. And then after that, stuff starts getting canceled, but hopefully something that you auditioned for uh, in the past is is coming uh, down the pike. And so, really, I do it by day. It's like, okay, Monday is Miles from Tomorrowland and, uh, you know, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Tuesday is Adventure Time. Wednesday is SpongeBob and Uncle Grandpa. Thursday is Powerpuff Girls and Clarence. And then Friday is just kind of piecemeal kind of stuff, uh, you know, just, just kind of catch-up stuff. That is amazing. That's an incredible skill. Um, uh, I'm sure you hear this all the time because your IMDb is insane. It's not even a real IMDb. There needs to be another category <laughs> for what kind of IMDb that is with its own database. Uh, it's it's amazing. And then speaking of, I have melted down search engines. Yeah, <laughs> just that. You know, it's funny, like because you do get credited IMDb. I don't know how they find out. Do you know how do they find out about no this idea. stuff? No like, idea. It's it's up there instantly. I'll record something and then it'll be up there almost instantly. But since Every part that you do is credited. People go, wow, you have hundreds and hundreds of entries on IMDb, but a lot of them are like, you know, guy behind door number five, you yeah. know, and then, and then some are bigger, you know, obviously uh, uh, bigger in size and scope. But sure. But uh, it, it does add up to a pretty crazy number just because, uh, 
you know, us, if if you're uh, if you're one of the lucky uh, lottery winners of uh, t- to make a living in voiceover, you can work practically every day. Yeah. And every day is one or two or sometimes three different series, and you'll do two or three characters uh, at least on each show. So so it it is kind of. Rabbits multiplying. <laughs> I love, love, love your work on the Powerpuff Girls, and now it's coming back. And that's a question I want to ask you is, what is it like stepping back into those roles that you did years and years ago? Are you listening to old episodes? Did you listen before you started, or was it just like right there at the tip of your brain? Well, that's a yeah, that's a good question because uh, one thing when you make your living kind of acting like a kid and being an arrested adolescent, and I also really love my job a lot, you know, I don't want anybody else's job. You know, this cartoon voiceover is the last job I want I have, like ever. <laughs> I don't. It's not a stepping stone to something else. It's not a transition. I'm just like, I just want to do this till I'm uh, ho- help. Hopefully, uh, a really old dead guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with something like Powerpuff Girls, I don't realize how long the pendulum has taken to swing back because. It's been years of you just going to work every day and having kids and doing stuff and living your life. And it isn't until I look at the date that Power, the original Powerpuff came out yeah. that I was like, holy cow, this was this, yeah. this was a long time ago. Yeah. You know, like in, in the way pop culture works, everything comes back around immediately, sometimes more than once. Sometimes, you know, whether it's Ninja Turtles or Strawberry Shortcake or Ponies or 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 uh, a lot of stuff, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Looney Tunes, Scooby Doo, any of that stuff, and you know, I'm hopefully SpongeBob will be one of those evergreen perennials that uh, that that comes roaring back every so often. I got a good feeling about that SpongeBob guy. I oh. think he's got some legs. Um, I think he's going <laughs> to be legs. around for a while. Bob, yeah, sea legs, get it? Meow. Gary, that was funny. Oh my gosh! And you must have people, uh, you know, talking about keeping up with these voices and not knowing like how long the pendulum is swinging. You also must have people. Just years after you've wrapped a show, oh, you do know that? Do that voice, do that voice. And that might, you know, keep it fresh in your brain at like a comic book convention or anything like that. Yes, that happens quite a bit uh, when I do the occasional con. And one of the funny parts of of this livelihood is that some video game or cartoon that took you 20 minutes in 1996 and then you walked out the door and, you know, did a bazillion other things and never returned to that character was somebody's biggest thing yeah you know when they were a little kid or maybe they were sick in bed playing spyro the dragon games or something and you're their spyro and you just kind of you know for you it was just something where you went in you did it you did the best job you could the check cleared knock on wood move on bob's your uncle i'm auditioning for whatever the next thing is but it's funny like you know that imdb you were talking about like everything on there is somebody's biggest thing yeah and obviously something like spongebob is it's actually been around long enough that it spans generations yep where you have people young families like people with kids and the parents say i grew up on spongebob and now our kids watch spongebob and oftentimes there's a grandparent there who said we didn't understand it when we first saw it but now we love it you know (laughs) now we're empty nesters and spongebob oh we it's terrific so so yeah it's kind of nice to be part of something that has that impact on not even impacts it's just at this point spongebob is kind of like this old friend that's always been in the house absolutely and and it's it's a beautiful thing (laughs) 
often, I mean, there are people that say I had a great childhood and uh, SpongeBob was part of it. And, you know, every time I do a Comic-Con, I get these elaborate drawings, some from kids and some from from adults that say, you know, thanks for the greatest childhood ever. Or, you know, thanks for showing me how to use my imagination, stuff like that. (laughs) And um, and then you get people going, my childhood was awful. Yeah. And SpongeBob was an escape for me and cartoons were an escape for me. So thanks for providing relief when things weren't so good. And yeah. you know, both both those uh <laughs> both those things are uh, are fine with me, but yeah. Uh, yeah, you realize the that these cartoons, you know, I think animation connects with people on a really deep level and animated characters connect with people on a very deep level. Yeah. And it's funny that this is kind of a recent phenomenon that I've been running into has kind of just started happening is where millennials will run into me and start crying. Yeah. Like, cause it's, cause you know, it's so emotional. It's sure. like, you know, maybe they're going to college or, or, you know, a childhood is something they're leaving behind and they're starting to take their first steps in the world. And SpongeBob's a heavy thing for them, yeah. you know, and, and they just, I, they, they just go, oh my gosh, you're the voice of SpongeBob. And I go, yeah, I'm SpongeBob. They go, yeah. <laughs> Men and women alike, male and female alike, whatever hit you in your childhood. Yeah. Like it's one thing to see somebody from whatever Breaking Bad and you go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's something that was seminal to you and a, a game changer for you when you're in your formative stage. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like if yes. I ran into Kang, Captain Kangaroo or Mr. Rogers or Mel Blanc especially, I would probably fall apart because it's it's big. Yeah. And, you know, we never think of ourselves as looming large in people's lives, you know, because, you know, why would we think that? But but you realize it is. You know, not us. We don't loom large in people's <laughs> lives, but SpongeBob does. Exactly. SpongeBob is a character and as a show and as a source of enjoyment for them is is very fraught yeah and, and it's it's yeah that's kind of some a phenomenon that i'm just starting to yeah. experience i guess it's a has to do with the timeline of how long spongebob has been on the air and where the kids that started out watching it, it, spongebob in 1999 are now in their lives exactly that was their formative year whatever age they were yeah, yeah totally, totally yeah and, and 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 it's funny another thing that comes up a lot is adults and young adults and sometimes older adults like you know 30 year olds or whatever if they were 10 or 11 when Spongebob <laughs> started sure you know they'll they'll come and go oh my god my friends and I still speak to each other in Spongebob memes yeah I know or, or you know or or I had a friend in fourth grade that all we did was we bonded over Spongebob yeah. jokes and he's still my best friend in fact I'm at this comic con with him and the guy comes over oh my god that's so cool yeah it's, it's really neat Autograph. Talking about SpongeBob, I'm so glad that we're heading down this path because my favorite thing about this character is everything you just mentioned is, and I think that he's an incredibly important character for cartoon history because for me, he heralded the the resurgence of innocence and that being okay. Yeah, I think you're right, and I, I just uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what helps helped for sure at the at the beginning SpongeBob stand out, and I guess like in terms of comedy archetypes yeah you know you're either the wise guy or the naif that's right you know you're, you're either like the the super naive childlike guy you know which in the stuff that influenced spongebob is represented by stan laurel jerry lewis right uh maybe curly from the three stooges where they just, you know they just act like innocent kids mm-hmm. and then you know the, the, there's the wise guy that would be mo or uh oliver hardy or whatever but 
Because um, I liked all the wise guy characters oh. as a kid, too. Oh, yeah, sure. But you're right. SpongeBob um, kind of stood out. And I think that's very much a product of and sprang from Steven Hillenberg's personality and mm-hmm. approach to life and approach to comedy. You know, Steve's a very wide-eyed guy who's interested in everything and is a very hopeful, sweet guy. And so I think the character that he created had a lot of that in his DNA. Yeah. And I think that only works if you're not, if the naive character isn't the object of derision. Like, exactly. by the creators of the show, by the writers. Like, yes. Like, going, huh, you know, optimism, how stupid. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, Squidward can think that. Sure. Right. And then that's a nice, uh, a nice counterpoint. But I think in terms of the writing of SpongeBob and, 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 and creating him, that that was a really, really huge part of his personality. And when Steve pitched the character to me, he was very clear about that. Yeah. And I think, because he's told me, I know, uh, <laughs> on some level saw some of those qualities in me, which is why he thought of me as the voice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I enjoy life. I'm a happy guy. Yeah. I, I'm a, you know, I, I... <laughs> but I got to take this opportunity, too, to also, I have this chance. I'm in this booth. I'm here at Nickelodeon. I just wanted to tell SpongeBob, listen, SpongeBob, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of people are, are big fans of yourself. And I just wanted to say, thanks for being such a good guy, because that means a lot to me, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. You know, I think part of it I owe to my imaginary friend, Tom Kenny. Ah! Underwater sunsets sure are beautiful, eh, Squidward? Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Just the three of us. You, me, and this brick wall you built between us. Yeah. <laughs> sunsets always remind me of bowls of fruit. What do they make you think of, Squidward? Ah! Explosions. Uh, I, I mean, uh, erosion. You know, if I were to die right now in some sort of fiery explosion due to the carelessness of a friend, well, that'd just be okay. Let's go back and and, and discuss some of your influences growing up, the type of animation that you liked, your, your comedy influences. You know, you started out doing stand-up. Uh, at what point in your development as a young person did you say to yourself, I want to do comedy, I care about comedy? When did that happen? Really young, uh, very young, like, like childhood. Yeah. I was always drawing comic strips and, you know, I was horrible at sports, of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I found that by making funny comic strips that featured like teachers and kids in the class and all that, you know, and being the funny guy, yeah. you could do it. And people always go, oh, you must have been the class clown with all your nutty, zany voices. You must have been the class clown. Sure. And I wasn't. It wasn't until probably junior high school that I started to feel comfortable more showing that side of me but i would write jokes for the class clown <laughs> who had no problem putting himself out there and you know what i mean yeah and he was funny so yeah. so i liked writing stuff for him to do and just going hey you know I to, you were the to, joke this writer joke. i was the joke writer for, i was the class clown's writer because i was such a wimp like such a wussy <laughs> like so like like you know and when i think about it kind of where i wound up in yeah. my career being a cartoon voiceover guy kind of is that what uh yeah. You know, it's like being the drummer. It's like, yeah, I'm playing in the big rock and roll band, but I'm behind all this yeah. <laughs> stuff that I all the stuff that I'm banging on. I'm not the front man. Sure, sure, sure. And and I, I call it the shy show off. Yeah. You know, where you where you're simultaneously shy, but there's enough look at me, look at me and you yeah. that you're out there being funny and doing voices and stuff. So yeah. you can't 
You're not totally shy, obviously. I never thought about that. You know, does that give you more freedom, do you think? Oh, it's incredibly freeing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's miraculously freeing, like levitation freeing. It's funny, to go back to your earlier question, I, I wanted to be a cartoon voiceover guy or, or thought about it. It was always in my mind since earliest childhood and the people who did the voices for cartoons and how they must do it yeah. in the age before the internet or even very much animation writing being available at a small town library. Sure. Uh, I was always, it was, it was always on my radar. I was always thinking about it and comedy albums and things like that. And it all kind of went together, you know, sure. drawing comics, thinking about cartoons, uh, you know, playing in bands, you know, rock and roll bands and stuff like that. Like I, I, I did all that, but it took me a long time to break into voiceover. Really? So I started doing stand up and stuff, stand up comedy in clubs, in bars. Well, I was still in high school, and I answered an ad in the local uh, alternative paper that said, <laughs> we're looking to put together a comedy. Have you ever thought about doing stand-up? Show up, you know? And I showed up, and it was before the 1980s comedy boom, so not very many people showed up. Got it, uh, You yeah. know, a handful of years later, there would have been a ton of people that showed up. But it was like me and maybe four other guys, one of them being that class clown that I wrote for, <laughs> uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Ah, okay. Now so, it all comes so together. So that all that's comes right. together. He that's, was the class clown. That's where Bobcat is. In okay, our high great. school yearbook, <laughs> him and I are co-class clowns. That's awesome. Like it's us and the girl. There's the that's female great. class clown, sure. and then and then you male class clown. It. it was yeah, it was a toss up. <laughs> so uh, so we answered this ad, and you know we couldn't even drive. Yeah. So we had, <laughs> and Syracuse is is a uh, you know kind of a far flung place. You know, there's, yeah. it's not like you can take a subway out there so we we had a friend who was a year older than us who's 17 uh <laughs> drive us to this gig he went up and did stand up too and i loved it it was yeah. off to the, it was off to the races and when we first showed up the guy who ran the gig who would put the ad in the paper was like you're children <laughs> you didn't tell me you were children and we go well you know you didn't ask us come on yeah. just put us up and you know and then we 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 gave back to him and he loved that yeah. Like, real, yeah, yeah. This, know. this is. Like, come on, Gramps, put us on. <laughs> and we're still best friends. Me, yeah. and, me and Bob, I uh, met in first grade and, you know, went through our teen years together, loving punk rock and going to see George Carlin concerts. You know, we saw Andy Kaufman when he was wrestling uh, women on stage. Wow. We saw Steve Martin when he had dark black hair and a what? beard. That never and, happened. And, and, uh, and, uh, and an arrow through his head. Yeah, we were kids, you know? Wow. We saw, and, and, yeah, punk rock and comedy is what we were all. So cool. It was all what we loved. That story. That's what me, I still love. Yeah, that story you just told me. <laughs> that's so punk rock that you guys, that you and Bobcat Goldthwait had to get your seventeen-year-old friend to drive you to do stand-up. That's so punk rock. Yeah, and that's our parents awesome. had no idea. Like uh, I tell the oh, story in Bob's, Bob's documentaries that this guy Barry Crimmins was calling the house to book us for the shows. Okay, I'm going to put you on next Wednesday. You know, and my mother couldn't understand why is this thirty-year-old guy calling. The house of a sixteen-year-old dude. What? That's so. Funny. What's happening here? That's you know, so like, funny. like, and of course, what was happening here is like, hey, you know, we're I'm a stand-up comedian now. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, now the downside of that is that when you're a high school kid and you suddenly are doing exactly what you always wanted to do, yeah, and you were hoping that it would be awesome to be able to do it, and then it really is awesome. It's hard to feign interest in geometry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just, you're just sitting there thinking about yeah. you're like, your you're next just, set. And yeah, you're just thinking about, yeah, I'm, I'm writing jokes. Hey, that'll make a good joke. Yeah. And, 
you know, I, I feel kind of bad about that now. And as a parent, I go, oh, my God. I would just be appalled if my children... You, know, <laughs> you need to shape up, mister. At what point did they did they learn from you that you wanted to be a voice actor, that you want to work in cartoons, and how did they react to that? So my parents, they were a little... Once they, you know... I don't know that I've ever told this story before, but when they when I was living in San Francisco and I was doing okay as a local stand-up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, they my parents came out to visit me. I didn't want them to worry about me. Sure. So I put them up in a way too nice hotel. Yeah. That I'll, it's on me. I'm doing all right. Yeah. I was like, oh, how am I going to pay for this hotel <laughs> I got my parents up at? And then uh, at the show, Robin Williams was there. Wow. And he told my parents that I was funny. You know, this is probably like, you know, 86, 87. Oh, my god! He came up to them and said, oh, your son is very funny. He's a, he was a good writer and his stuff is really good. And, you know, you don't need to worry about him. He's very funny. And uh, I was, Worst Ron Williams impression ever. And, <laughs> and uh, I always marked that as the point where my parents stopped worrying. Wow. When Mork from Mork told them that I was going to be okay, yeah. they said... Oh, okay. This isn't a fever dream. He's not delusional. He's not, yeah, a loony. You know, he's 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 not a nut. He's gonna be okay. He's gonna be okay. He knows what he's doing. And wow, you know, if, and people kept coming up. You know, the club owners were coming up and going, "You're good." You know, Tom's yeah. very good. He's on the rise. You know, and I think that trip out to San Francisco in the in the mid '80s uh, really kind of put their minds at ease. Wow. And so I did stand up for quite a while, well pursuing voice work and not getting very much of it. What? You know, auditioning for it and just going, God, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. It's what I really yeah. want to be doing. And, you know, I did Conan. I did Letterman yeah. as a stand-up. Like, yeah. Like, before I was doing any voiceover. But I wasn't loving it. I wasn't feeling it. Wow. I mean, I, lo- I liked it. I lo- you sure. know, I loved it up to a point, but I was like, I didn't love it as much as some guys. Sure. And I always felt vaguely guilty about that. Yeah, like, that makes sense. You know, sense. like Bobcat to this day yeah. gets itchy palms if he doesn't go up and do a few sets a week. That's awesome. And Robin was like that. Yeah. And Stephen Wright Some guys are like that. that. Some guys are like that, yeah. Yes. Totally. A lot of guys are like that. And I I really did was lacking that gene, you yeah. know, where I was like, you know, after a while I was like, you know, I knew how to do it, but I, I didn't love it. Sure. I, you know, it sure beat the heck out of working on a loading dock totally. or something, which I've been doing, or cutting meat. Or, yeah. or, or, and uh, So I was glad to have it, but I, I was kind of inwardly troubled that I didn't love it more. Yeah. And then, But something inside me, like an instinct, just said, I think voiceover is the place where my weird skill set might be the best utilized. When I did start booking a little bit of voiceover. Yeah, what was that like? I, Oh my gosh. It was like, it was kind of like the first time I did stand up, you know, sure. where, where, you know, the first time I did it, it went pretty good. And it was just like, wow, you just, maybe a, this might be a door opening for me. It's very exciting. Like, like, I think, a, I think I'm, a door might have just opened and I, maybe I can walk through it. Yeah. You know, that's how I felt when I was 16 and did stand up for the first time. Well, at what point did you have that Robin Williams moment where you go, Okay, this is my career now, and I'm think I think I'm gonna be okay. Or have you still not hit that point? Because you talked about that before. That thing of you're just a guy that likes to work. I do. I yeah. love what I do, and, <laughs> and I also th- I'm also a guy that like if I go like one day without working, I think it's all over. <laughs> Tom, all come over. on, you're Tom Kenny. I'm Tom, like, you're gonna. You know, I know people are like you are <laughs> mentally ill. But you're you're either stupid or yeah. sick in the head. Yeah. You know, I'm just you know I'm, you know I don't, maybe I've just you know. 
Maybe I've just had 35 really good years. It could be a fluke. You sure. know, maybe it's a statistical an- anomaly. Yeah. So that must be what it is. That's right. Mm-hmm. Billy West and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the voiceover people have that where you're so glad to be doing what you want. It's kind of like f- you marry the most beautiful, most awesome girl in the world and you're afraid that she's going to get taken away from you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. you're like, uh, I don't want to lose you, baby. So, <laughs> it's so you, love. It's love. What you're saying is that you love this. I, you love yeah. what you do, and yeah. and and you. But a lot of us, since we did spend a lot of years where we were doing other stuff, trying to break into the business, which yeah. you know is pretty much the standard path for everybody, I guess. You do. It can engender like the mentality of someone who who grew up in the depression. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and you're like, you're, you never get over feeling poor. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're Scrooge McDuck, you still remember when you were in the Klondike mining, uh, mining gold. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, uh, yeah. So, so, but when I, when I first did it, it was just, um, uh, you know, like an out of body, beautiful yeah. experience on every level. The people, so the cool. stuff and, and being an animation as a lifelong animation fan, with very minimal drawing skills, I was like, this is a way for me to be involved in the animation industry, despite the fact that my drawing stinks. Do you remember your first gig, your first voiceover sure. gig? What was it? Well, my first voiceover gig, I mean, going back to Syracuse, I went into like a leather store slash head shop in um, Syracuse and just yeah. asked, hey, your radio commercials are boring. How about if I write some radio commercials for no you? Way. And they're like, that yeah, well, it worked. <laughs> that, this, that's the that's the beauty of growing up in a place that's not a major city. Sure, like if you have any gumption whatsoever, yeah, which which most people don't. If you have any gumption whatsoever, people just go, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, because Bobcat and I started like a comedy troupe in Syracuse while we were in our teens, and we just went into a bar and said like, hey, Tuesday nights are kind of dead in here. Why don't you give us Tuesday nights? Well. We were like 16, 17 years old. And like, you know, there's a guy sweeping up in like a pool table nobody's playing on. And he just went, yeah, okay. So. Oh my gosh. If you grow up in a major city, there's already the improv. There's already Catch a Rising Star. There's yeah. already the comedy store. They're going to go, no, you, yeah. your children, get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that was the first time I did voiceover. So I wrote like, I'm sure they're bad. I, I don't even have copies of these, but oh, they were like parodies. <laughs> they were like Twilight Zone parodies and stuff like that with me doing Rod Serling and uh, who's from Syracuse, by the way. And uh, <laughs> all these uh, all these things. And I had a friend of mine. That was, uh, you know, had a reel-to-reel recording rig in his house mm-hmm. that, that I played in a band with, and he he cut these commercials together for me, and and so that was my first time hearing my voice on on the radio. Like, wow, wow they're playing my down under leather, down under leather uh, radio spot. You know, that, that's yeah. cool. Was there any sort of outside of the animation industry? Re- uh, reaction about Rocco? Was there any fan? Did people know you? Did people, you know, hey, you're yeah. here for Well, not at the time. Right. Well, you know, sometimes at the time. Because it was, you know, it was a Nicktoon, so if you watched Nickelodeon back then, yeah. and if you're a 90s kid, yeah. you knew Rocco's Modern Life. And, like, yep. uh, you know, along with uh, Hey Arnold and Rugrats and Beavers and uh, Real Monsters and Ren and Stimpy, of course, which was the show to me that changed, that was a big game changer. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you look at what was around then, it was totally. all toy commercials. It was all like, you know, gummy yeah. bears and, yeah. you know, uh, robot shows and yeah. stuff like that. And, yeah. and comedy, it wasn't squash and stretch comedy. Yeah. And, you know, which is what most of the stuff that I've done kind of uh, is in that bag. So, so you know, Ren and Stimpy, I think, was 
you know, I, I'm very grateful that Ren and Stimpy happened. And Billy West was a great uh, idol of mine even before I was doing voiceover, before I ever met him. He was like, I was like, man, that guy, if I, God, you know, that guy, <laughs> that, what a, if, if I could work with that guy or yeah. kind of try to be half the voice actor that guys like him are, yeah. you know, and even if I can be half as good as them, I'll be doing all right. Hello, Rocco. Hiya, what's up? Do you know where I can find an elk? Hmm. How about the Elks Club? Ooh, good thinking. Thanks, Rock. Anytime. Rocco's Modern Life was my first series. So that was early 90s, 92, 93, probably. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Joe Murray was a creator. And Carlos Alizraki, who was a San Francisco comedian, Mm-hmm. Who also worked at a health club right near my house in San Francisco? What? Again, okay. we're talking. These yeah. are the tendrils that you. I know. I feel like I have to mention all this stuff. It's hard it's to keep great. track of it all. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but if you make a flowchart of it, it's pretty effed up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he suggested me to Joe Murray and said, "There's this funny guy, Tom Kenny. He loves cartoons. He's good at characters. Yeah, you know, you should at least have him come in and read for this heifer guy." Yeah, and. That's what happened. Now, before that, I had done a few episodes of a short-lived Dumb and Dumber animated series. I remember Dumb and Dumber, the animated series. Yeah. 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 I was like a villain on it that was based on Ross Perot, which tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> I uh, remember who, Ross who, Perot. Who at that time was current. But, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, um, so I wasn't one of the two Dumb and Dumber guys. Sure. Uh, which in the movie are Jim Carrey and uh, Jeff Daniels. And Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. But in the show, so Matt Frewer. Yeah. Was uh, the uh, Jim Carrey guy. Gotcha. He, so he was dumber. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Daniels. Was dumb. Bill Fagerbaki. Oh, amazing. There's another tendril there was, right there's there. There's another tendril. That was the first time I ever met him. That's great. And uh, who knew? You know, we got along great. And What was it like to see the animation on TV when it was all done and hearing your voice coming out oh, of that? Oh, I loved it. Like, yeah, I auditioned for Joe Murray. I was heifer. I kind of based it on my, um, you know, he was kind of like this cow that wasn't really bright, but he was also sweet, kind of in the SpongeBob tradition. That might be where... Steve Hillenburg saw the efficacy of having like kind of a wide-eyed, uh, innocent character. Yeah, uh, he was kind of based on my thirteen-year-old, my then thirteen-year-old nephew, my brother's <laughs> son Sean, who was just sort of like this all the time, and you know, just sort of shy and always kind of looking at it. He was happy, but he was always kind of looking at his feet too. And so I kind of just kind of did my lousy impression of of my nephew for Heifer, and and Joe liked it. And I remember walking into the room for the first time, and Charlie Adler, who was just you know, working, uh, you know, he's always, you know, he, he predated me in the business, you mm-hmm. know, so so he had already done a ton of stuff and had all this range and could do all these things. He, he voice director now as well as voice actor and yeah. does stuff for Nickelodeon uh, directing now as well as voicing. I walked in and he was doing like a three-way conversation where he was doing three characters in the scene. Wow. And they were like, Charlie, do you want us to, do you want to get the, the characters separately and then we'll cut it together later? And he's like, no, no, forget it. So... And I was just like, oh, crap. You know yeah. what I mean? I could never do that. It's a big leaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I better I better improve f- quickly. Wow. Um, you know, I always say I felt like it was like I stepped into a typing class where everybody could type like 300 words a minute. And I'm like the hunt and peck uh, one finger guy. Yeah. And th- th- then my typing got better. Uh, yeah, I guess the 10,000 hours theory, you know, if, if you don't get better, it's something, something's wrong. But yeah, <laughs> he... he uh, that was that was a a really big watershed, like uh, an, angelic choir moment for yeah. me, and it was so fun. Boy, look at that 
baby go! Adventure! The open road! It just doesn't get any better than this! What is that like, to, to know that you are uh, a lot of people and animation fans and, and aspiring voice actors, you're their pinnacle, you're their sort of uh, idol that they look up to? I do get that, you yeah. know, uh, especially at Comic-Cons and stuff like that, sure. and panels, and, you know, the interesting thing is, like, up until sort of recent years, voice acting wasn't really so much on the radar like it wasn't re- like it was a weird aspiration to have like, yeah. when i when i wanted to do it it was a very strange aspiration to have especially cuz tv animation was kind of at a nadir anyway pre totally. red and stimpy totally. like what would you do you know all the stuff you love is over yeah Lo- Lo- looney tunes is done bullwinkle's done max fleischer popeyes were 100 years ago all the stuff <laughs> what are you going to do get get in a time machine you yeah. know so when Rocco got not picked up, uh, or when it ran its course, I should say, it did their 52 half hours, then it was done. And I didn't book another voiceover for quite some time after that. Wow. And I was auditioning, and so there was part of me going, maybe that was my voiceover career. Oh, <laughs> maybe that was it. Tom. It was really fun. You know what <laughs> I mean? I was, I was like, well, you know, it was nice while it lasted. Back to, back to stand-up, I guess. Yeah. When I was doing stand-up, yeah. auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Wow. Went really far up the food chain. There were two slots open. It came down to Spade, Rob Schneider, and myself. Wow. Fly to New York, Lorne Michaels, Catch Rising Star. Yeah. I had a really good set. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I think I might have just had a really good set. At a Saturday Night Live audition, am I crazy? Yeah, you know, and I think I, you know, and didn't get it. Yeah, obviously, uh, Rob Schneider and David Spade wound up on the show, and at the time, that was the most devastating oh. thing that had happened to me. Where I was just like, "This is the brass ring. This was my chance, and for whatever reason, maybe." Maybe it's something I'm giving off. You know, you say, mm-hmm. is it fear of success? Is yeah. it something? And, you know, now in retrospect, it's just like Lorne Michaels is putting together his fantasy football team and he's looking for a peg of this shape and a peg of this shape. Yeah. And I just wasn't the right shape. Yeah. But at the time, it was devastating. Like, I, you know, I cried. I, I thought that was it. I'm done. You know, I'm toast. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me that I didn't get that job? You know, I felt like I did good. And now I feel like. That was a gigantic, gigantic, fortunate blessing circumstance that yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I feel like I now I feel like I dodged a bullet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel totally. like I've got a way better career now than I would have. And I feel like I have a way a career that I love a lot more than that. Yeah. Cause you know what I mean? Because yeah. chance I, I mean Saturday Night Live has had a ton of people on it. Sure, sure, sure. And most of those people wind up as you know, whatever happened to that guy? He had a couple of good characters. Yeah. He wasn't bad. Didn't they make a movie about that? He I was think pretty so. good. He was pretty good. Yeah, you know, he wasn't good. he wasn't the best, but, but he had guy? a couple of good characters. Whatever happened yeah. to that guy? And the answer is, because I run into those guys around Los Angeles, oftentimes they're doing their laundry at the laundromat that you're walking by and you go, Oh my god, that guy used to be outside of life. Yeah. And now he doesn't have a wash machine. So uh, <laughs> so it's uh, incredible. You wow. know, so so I mean not to uh, the only reason I'm telling that story. Is because people are asking me about it a lot lately because Schneider and Spade are telling it on their book tours. <laughs> and anyway, right. kids, adults, <laughs> teenagers, old people, uh, human beings of all ages, the stuff that you think is uh, is a tragedy that's going to knock you down sometimes turns out to be a total uh, beautiful uh, 
ray of sunlight in disguise. <laughs> and how, what, what a SpongeBob, uh, what a SpongeBob uh, moral that is, huh? Yeah, that's perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom, for doing this. Thank uh, you. We so appreciate it. Uh, I think everybody, along with me, is doubly inspired to continue doing with whatever they're doing, or maybe they're going to try something new. So thank cool. you so much, man. That was awesome. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, uh, thanks everybody out there for uh, giving a darn and and <laughs> uh, watching cartoons and loving cartoons as much as uh, as much as we all do. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with the great Tom Kenny. That was so much fun. Thrill of a lifetime. Okay, you're not going to want to miss an episode of the podcast, so please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content like photos from the podcast of me and Tom, as well as original production art from SpongeBob and Rocco from our very own Nick Archives. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures, all of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix, and thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Gralva. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast, and keep watching cartoons. <laughs>